Welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the evening service of Sunday the 22nd of May 2011, entitled Ambitious to Please, and the Bible reading is taken from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 1 to 21. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. I invite you to stand with me for the honoring of God's holy word beginning in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 1. For we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For in this we groan, earnestly desiring to be clothed upon with our house which is from heaven. If so be that being clothed we shall not be found naked. For we that are in this tabernacle do groan, being burdened not for that we would be unclothed, but clothed upon, that mortality might be swallowed up of life. Now he that hath wrought us for the selfsame thing is God, who also hath given unto us the earnest of the Spirit. Therefore we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore we labor, that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of Him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. For we commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf, that may you have somewhat to answer them which glory in appearance and not in heart. For whether we be beside ourselves, it is to God. Or whether we be sober, it is for your cause. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then were all dead, that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Wherefore henceforth know we no man after the flesh, yea, Though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you, in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Father, we thank you for these wonderful words that you have preserved for us that we have been able to read from your word this evening. 
Lord, for your spirit that lives and dwells within us. Thank you for our time together. And now as we look into these verses, we pray, Lord, that your hand would be upon us, that you would speak to us as only you can. Father, I pray. You know why that you laid this passage and these words upon our heart. You knew exactly who would be here this evening. You know the hearts of each one. May you do the work that only you can do for your glory and your glory alone. In Christ's name we pray, amen and amen. Well, the Apostle Paul, in beginning his writing here in chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians, we find that he begins with this wonderful, glorious thought that we have that, of course, these temporary houses that we are living within, these bodies that we have here, they're only temporary. One day they're all going to dissolve and they're all going to be gone. But we have the promise of a permanent house, a permanent dwelling. And of course, we have no fear in death because whenever this temporary tent house that we live in here, when it dissolves and when it's gone, He's assuring us that to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So we have that great promise. And with that in mind, I want to direct your attention down to verse 9. Because of this, because of this great promise, because of what we have, because of what we've been given for all of eternity, he says, wherefore we labor. This is why we labor that whether present or absent, whether in this body or out of it, we may be accepted of Him. A simple thought this evening is ambitious to please. Most of us know what ambition is. We know what it's like to have goals, to have aims, to have ambitions, to do this, that, or the other. Well, you know, as we think this evening, how important is it to you in everything that you do, day in and day out in life, as long as we're in this? In other words, he's saying it doesn't really matter whether we're in this body or out of it, whether we're on earth or in heaven. It shouldn't make any difference in this. He says there's a reason why we should be ambitious to please God. He says, wherefore we labor. The word that's translated, we labor there from the Greek, literally has the meaning of to love what is honorable. To love that which is honorable. It carries with it the idea of this is why we make it our aim. We make it our ambition. There is a, a desire, something deep within us that loves to do that which is honorable to God. That's what's important to us. That's our ambition in life. He's talking about that this is what his life is all about. This is what he's laboring for. This is what he's working for. This is his aim. This is his ambition in life. Many of us have ambitions to do a lot of things. But he's putting all these earthly things aside, and he says, this is where my focus is at. You see, as believers, it's easy for us to get our eyes on these temporal things, on these temporal bodies, on the things that make this temporal body feel good and happy. 
And what he's saying here is that we need to get our focus on spiritual goals, those things that are honorable before God. Of course, it's worthy to note in that thought that whatever we do in this life, you know, there's some of you that are going to have to go to work tomorrow. (laughs) Because if you don't, the bill man won't be very happy with you come later in the month. Some of you are going to have to go to school tomorrow. Because if you don't, nobody else is going to do your work for you, and you're not going to get that passing grade that you need. Some of you are going to have to clean house and cook meals and take care of people and do this and do that. There are things that are required of you. But you know, part of what the Apostle Paul is talking about here is that whether I'm in this life or the next, whether I'm in this body or the next body, it shouldn't make any difference the fact that my ambition in life that which I'm really striving for, that which I'm really working for, is to please Him. And so in everything that we do, whatever it is, we need to make sure that as believers that we do it in an honorable way, that we do it in a way that would be pleasing to God. We labor. I'm ambitious. I have this ambition in life, whether present or absent. No matter. In in this whole idea that we're talking about, yes, there's this temporary life, and yes, there's that eternal life, there's this body, there's that permanent body, but whether I'm here or there, whether I'm here now or whether I'm there with Him, it shouldn't change my goal to please Him, to make Him happy, that we may be accepted of Him. carries with it the idea of just being (laughs) well-pleasing, To make God very happy actually is the same word that is used in in Titus 2.9 when it's talking about the passion that the slave has in pleasing his master. It's something that comes from deep within. There's a passion behind it. He's saying, I have this ambition in life. Whatever I'm doing, whether I'm in here now in the temporary, whether I'm there with him, my goal, my ambition is to please him. You see, I'm saying, you know, that so many times we get downtrodden, we get feeling sorry for ourselves. You know, life can be pretty boring if you don't have any goals, if you don't have any anywhere that you're going, if you don't have anything that you're working for, wherever you are in life, however young or however old that you are. We find that as believers... Believers, whatever takes our time in this life. You see, the thing is, if truly our focus, if our ambition in life is to do that which is honorable and pleasing to Him, then everything that we do, we're going to do better. We're going to be happier at it. The Bible tells us in another place that whatever we do, do it as unto the Lord. doesn't matter if you're doing it for an old cranky boss that you don't even like working for. Do it as if it's God himself, the Lord himself that's asked you to do it, and you're doing it for the Lord. You're doing it with a smile because you're doing it in an honorable way. We find that this is where I take this phrase, and it's not stretching what he's saying here, ambitious to please. Because I believe this with all my heart this evening. I believe that if you can truly set your goals and your focus on pleasing Him. If your ambition in life, if your aim in life 
rather than to please man, rather than to do well here, if you set your true ambition, your aim at pleasing God, you'll do all these other things better, and you will be the one that in the end will be much happier and much more satisfied. Do you know what? It won't really matter what man thinks about it. If you know that you're doing it in a way that's honorable and pleasing to God, then man's rejection and man's criticisms and all those things, though we don't like those things, they won't get you down so much when you know that he's pleased, that what you've done is truly honorable and pleasing to him. This is what Paul was, was working for. He didn't care. It didn't make any difference. Yes, you know, he's pulled between these two ideas of staying in this world and going on to the next. He's got this, this part of him, you know, just wants to be here. I mean, nobody usually wants to just punch the checkout button and go right this second if they've got a choice. But at the same time, we don't have to walk around afraid that the next heartbeat might be our last because we can have a peace and a comfort. And he said, you know, whatever. You know, forget that. The simple truth is, is that our ambition, our aim, our goal in life should be the same. What we're working for, what we're aiming for, what we're striving for is that which is honorable that will well please him, that will make him happy. We find that as we look at these next verses, I just want to give you three simple things that he says here that, that should be motivation for us in being ambitious to please him. The first one in verses 10 through 13, we should be ambitious to please him because of coming judgment. <laughs> coming judgment. That's part of it. He says in verse 10, he gives the four. Why? Because we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. We're all going to face the Lord one day with our lives. There's no question about that. We're going to face him not with whether, we're not going to be at this judgment to face him with whether we're saved or not saved. That's got nothing to do with it here. We're facing at this judgment for the crowns, for the rewards, for that which we have accomplished in this life, for what we've done, for how we've lived our life, for what we've done, whether it's something that is worthwhile or something that's useless. You see, it's only those things that are done for Him that are going to last. Those things that we do for the flesh, those things that we do selfishly, they're all the wood, the hay, the stubble. They're going to be burned up anyway. They're not going to amount to anything. What he's saying is Paul's saying, wow, if we're going to stand before the Bema seat one day, that ought to motivate us to want to, to want to please him. We're going to stand there, and we're going to give an account. We are accountable for the life that we live, for everything that we do, for every idle thought that we have, for everything that goes on in our life. We are accountable to God for it. He said that ought to give us cause to want to stand there to please him. It should be a great motivational truth. People get out here and they go to all these motivational seminars and everything to get motivated to do all kinds of things. I'm saying if we could, if we could get our ambition in life set to please him, to do everything we do, 
in an honorable way that would be well-pleasing to our Lord. He says, the Bema seat. Now, the Bema seat, the word that he's using here, Bema is what he, he uses in the Greek when he talks about it's the judgment seat of Christ. He's using this Bema seat. And the Bema seat was, a, was an elevated platform that was something where that both the athletes went to where they were awarded their crowns, their awards for the races that they had won. And, of course, it was also the place that the judges and the magistrates set to dispense their judgment upon the people and the things that they did. Now, Corinth had a bema seat that sat right in the square. These people knew and understood exactly what Paul was talking about. He says, we ought to be ambitious in our lives to please God, first of all, because one day... We're going to be at the Bema seat, which they knew exactly what he was talking about with the Lord Jesus Christ himself, the judgment seat of Christ, the Bema seat of Christ. Now, it's interesting as you start reading different writers and different commentators as to exactly what his great emphasis was here. Some think that the emphasis was upon the fact of the awards, the crowns, because that was what took place at the Bema seat as well. You know, they would run their Olympics and they would, they would win their races and they would come and they would be recognized for what they had done right and they would be awarded these crowns for the judgment. Well, I think the thing is, is that in the end, it's all one and the same. We're not there to be judged. We've got to recognize if you are in Christ, there's no sin that's going to be present. That's an impossibility. Your sin is under the blood if you are in Christ. It's important that they be there. But the reality is, is that even once your sins are under the blood, the Bible's talking here about how we live our lives as believers. Those things are we going to be awarded for the things that have been done for him. He said, this is it. Because really we ought to be ambitious to please Him because we know from the Word of God that it's only those things that are done for Him that are going to last. That's what we're going to be rewarded for. That's what the crowns are going to come from at the Bema Seat of Christ. We find that just that ought to motivate us. We ought to recognize we can either waste our lives, we can stand before the Bema Seat one day and have absolutely nothing that's been worthwhile in our lives. Because we will stand there, but we can stand there one day and be awarded by Jesus Christ himself for those things that we've done. Now we can get into a lot of things and, you know, heaven's heaven. What are you going to want to do with those rewards and what, what good are they and all of this? You know, and, you know, the Bible doesn't tell us all those things, but I'm one of the ones, I guess, for me, I like to think that, you know, one of the greatest things in the world that you can do for somebody that you love is to be able to show that love. And I think, you know, the saddest thing, if I stood at the Bema seat and collected no rewards, no crowns, would be that I would have nothing to give my Lord to show my love for Him. I don't think that we're going to need anything in heaven. We're going to have everything that we need there. But the Bible says that for whatever reason, the way we live our life down here, we can be awarded for those things that are done for Him. We ought to be ambitious to please Him. 
because we'll stand before him one day. And it's only those things that have been done for him that are going to last, that are going to be rewarded there. He goes on in verse 11. He says, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. We are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. The terror of the Lord. He's talking about here with great reverence who God is, our Lord. He's the one that's going to be sitting on the bema seat with great reverence for him and for the things of God. He says that he was persuading men here, not about God's integrity, but about his own integrity, considering his own character. Why is Paul talking about that? What's he doing? Well, Paul's life was being lived before these people. They knew what he was and who he was, and he's saying, I'm not ashamed of who I am. You know my heart. You know my character. Truth is the truth. And you know that what I'm telling you is the truth. But, of course, we know that also in Corinth there were many, many false teachers. Well, Paul's just putting himself before God. He says, I'm telling you the truth before God. You know me that I'm not up here trying to make things up to make myself look good. I'm not trying to entice you with my own words. But he said, my character before you and before God stands for itself. You know, that's, that's, that's part of, yes, we're going to stand before the Bema seat. But with these things in mind, it ought to make us persuade others, to encourage others, to live godly lives, to do those things as well. And our lives should be such that our Christian character, that our integrity speaks for us, that they know that we're not just a bunch of false prophets that are running off at the mouth, but that we're speaking the truth in love. Paul says in verse 12, he said, We commend not ourselves again unto you, but give you occasion to glory on our behalf, that you may have somewhat to answer them which glory in appearance and not in heart. There's a lot of people out there that all that they've got to glory in is the show that they're putting on. It's the outside. And he's challenging these people. He's challenging these people that you need to be real. When we understand this, you need to be real, and you need to have integrity in your life, and you need to have Christian character when you're standing because there's plenty of people out there that are not. And I can stand here and I can start making you a list today of people that you know and I know that they're saying a lot of things in the name of the Lord. But the Christian character is not there to stand behind it. The integrity is not there to stand behind it. We were talking earlier. I guess most of you know that the end of the world was supposed to have come at 6 o'clock yesterday. Well, either they left without us or we're still here. <laughs> I think we're still here. <laughs> and I say this not to make light because, you know, one thing that I said about that is that by the same token, there are a lot of people, and some of them undoubtedly are brothers and sisters in Christ that have been taken in by this. They've been susceptible to this. I heard yesterday, and I don't know for a fact, I, I heard it, you know, on the news. <laughs> they said, well, this guy's not so dumb after all. You know, what's going to happen if it doesn't happen? <laughs> they said, well, just his his family radio station that he calls it that he's got there. 
that it's worth something between 75 and $125 million. <laughs> the people have been sending their life savings, sometimes hundreds of thousands of dollars, to make sure that this message got out. Some of those people maybe were not Christians, but I'm sure some of them were. The simple truth is there are a lot of people. I don't know that man's heart. I don't know how badly that he was self-deceived or that he was doing the deceiving. I simply know that if you were grounded in the Word of God, that it wouldn't matter when somebody come along like that, whether whatever their intentions are, that you'd know clearly from the Bible that, yes, we ought to be looking for our Lord right now before this service comes to a close. Today, not tomorrow at 6 o'clock. We ought to be looking for Him today. We don't know the date. We don't know the time. And they can try all the formulas to try to work it out. The Bible says only the Father knows that. And I believe that. But he tells us there are signs that we can look at and that we ought to be able to know when that time is coming. Well, you've got to be blind as a bat to look around this world now and not recognize that, wow, you know, it can't be far off. It can't be because the signs are there. And he says, when you see these things, you'll know that it's coming. And I believe that with all my heart. But you see, people that are not grounded in God's Word, and this is part of what the Apostle Paul is talking about here. He says, you know that I'm not a charlatan. You know I'm not one that's just all show on the outside. You know me. You know my heart. You know my character because he's lived the life before them. You know that this is the truth. He goes on in verse 13. I like what he says here. For whether we be beside ourselves, it is to God, or whether we be sober, it is for your cause. Beside ourselves. You know what that you know what it really meant there? You know what that term was used for? <laughs> to be out of your mind. <laughs> to be completely bonkers. To be out of your senses. <laughs> In other words, yeah. A lot of people are gonna think that I've gone around the deep end. <laughs> a lot of people are gonna think I'm bonkers, that I'm crazy. But it's all for God. <laughs> I'm gonna stand for it. Doesn't matter what they think. Doesn't matter if they think that I've lost my senses. But then he talks about the sobriety for their cause. I'm being sober, serious, earnest, honest for you. Yes, a lot of those people out there are going to think we've lost our mind. But he says we ought to be ambitious to please the Lord. It ought to be something that makes us happy, that we get excited about, that we want to live our lives in a way that will honor him and please him. First of all, because of the coming judgment, because of the bema seat, because that we're going to stand before God, we're going to give an account for what these lives have been, and you know that's the truth, and knowing that, and knowing the Lord, we ought to be out there persuading men. Not just talking about the gospel there, but I believe persuading men in these very truths that he's talking about here. We ought to be persuading people the kind of lives, how important it is to get our ambitions, our aims, our goals set on heavenly things because we're not going to miss anything on this earth. When we get those right, our earthly goals will be as they ought to be. Ambitious to please, not only because of coming judgment, but I want you to notice next, because of a compelling force. A compelling force. What are you talking about? I'm talking about, you know, there's some things 
There's some things in life that just have such a, a compelling force that they get a hold of you, and you just can't get away from it. Notice what he says next in verse 14. He says, for the love of Christ constraineth us. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. He said, wow. He said, you ought to be striving in your life. You ought to be working. Your goals, your aim ought to be that in everything that you do that you can be honorable and please him. Why? Well, because one day you're going to give an account to him, but secondly, because of his great love for you. Because of how much that he loved you and showed you and proved that love. He's talking about here man's, man's sinfulness, man's dead. If he died for all, all were dead. Everybody was caught in their depravity and sin. They were dead and they were hopeless. But Jesus Christ changed that because of his great love for us. He loved us so much. How can you not be desirous, ambitious to please him if he's shown you that much love? He says in verse 15, and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. There's only one reason you're sitting there alive this evening. That's because of Jesus Christ, because of he loved you so much that he was willing to die for you, that you could have life. And he's simply saying here, you know, the life that you've got is only because he was willing to come and die for you because he was the one that rose again to give you that life. The only life you've got is because of him. So you shouldn't be living it for your own selfish reason. You shouldn't be living it for yourself. You should be living it for him. He says in verse 16, Wherefore, henceforth, know we no man after the flesh. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. What's he talking about not knowing Christ anymore? We consider... When you consider Christ's love for you, when you consider what he was willing to do for you, when you consider what he accomplished for you when he died upon that cross, when he rose from that grave, he said, when you consider that, though, yes, he came to this earth as a man in flesh, and though, yes, we saw him, as a man on this earth, he's saying now, after what he did, it's impossible to see him as only a man again. It's impossible to look upon Jesus Christ and out of his great love what he accomplished for us and not know him for who he is, which is God the Son, God himself. You see, we know. We know. We all we ought to be ambitious to please him. Not only because of a coming judgment at the Bema when we stand there and give an account for our lives, but because of this compelling force of Christ's love. His love for us. 
him loving us so much. And in everything that he did, us recognizing that it wasn't just a man. It was God that did that for us. He reached down and loved us when we didn't deserve it. He reached down and did everything that was necessary so that you could have this life. Now, he said, that ought to make you ambitious to use that life for him, not for your own selfish needs, not for your own selfish desires, not for what makes you happy. We talked about all that this morning when we talked about the life in the spirit. We can have a life in the flesh or we can have a life in the spirit. Which way are we going to live it? Because we'll all make those choices. I like verse 17. It says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Boy, he's made you a new creation. I mean, the old is gone. It's done away with. It's dead. It's impossible. Something is wrong. If you think that you experienced the new birth, but nothing changed. <laughs> he says you're a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Simple truth is, we look at ourselves and what God did for us, oh, we know we haven't arrived. We're not talking about perfection. That ought to be our goal, our aim, to be holy and to be Christ-like. Problem is, every time we look in the mirror, we, we see our failings. We see shortcomings. But you see, what he's talking about here, though, is, well, you're not that same person that you were before. You know, if you are in Christ, if because of Christ's love, you've been given this new life. Well, He's, he's made you a, a complete new creation. You've been spiritually born. Those old things are gone, and you're a new creation in Him. There's got to be a difference. You can't be the old person. You might still have to beat the old person down sometimes. We, we talked about that a bit this morning, that flesh. But you're a new creation. There's something different. And he's saying, you know, when you look at what God's did for you, when you look at what God's did for you, that ought to be a compelling force to go out and, and to be ambitious, not just to do what you have to do. Not just to do what you got to do to keep from feeling too guilty. <laughs> Not to do just what you have to do because what other people are going to think of you if you don't or do. We're talking about doing what we do genuinely because it pleases Him. <laughs> That's our aim. That's our goal is to please Him. If we please Him, hopefully our lives will be such that others will see him in us, that our lives will be able to, as we see this next part here, we ought to be ambitious to please because of coming judgment, because of a compelling force, but also because of a committed ministry. I'm not talking about ministry as to the preachers here. I'm talking about a ministry that has been committed 
to each and every child of God. Notice what he says here. In verse 18, he says, And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation. Everything is of God. That, that, that God of all, that God of everything. He is the one that has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ. But he goes on, and also he's given to us the ministry of reconciliation. He says, to wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, in his place, be ye reconciled to God. Everything. There's nothing that is that isn't because of him. Everything is of God. That God, the God of all creation, the God that keeps it all together, that God of all power of the universe, through Jesus Christ, he's reconciled you unto himself. He's done everything that was necessary to make it possible for you and I and any lost sinner out there to be reconciled to him. And when that happens, he's created us new. He's given us new life. But he's given us this wonderful privilege and responsibility to carry that ministry to others. You see, I mean, you stop and think about it. You don't have to be a genius to recognize that, man, after all this greatness that he's done for us out of his love for us, just to keep it to me, myself, that's a pretty selfish thing to do. When you know, when you know that your brothers and your sisters and your moms and your dads and your sons and your daughters and your neighbors and those people you work with, those people that you meet, most of the people that you pass on the street, when you know that all of them, they need that same thing. And God has loved them enough that he's paid the price for their sins. He's done everything that they need. But he's given to you and I that ministry of reconciliation to take that word to them that they can know what God's done for them, that they can know how much that he loves them, that they can know what's there for them. If they'll just accept it. We are his ambassadors. That's an honored position even in our world, to be an ambassador, to be a representative of your head of state in another place. You see, that's exactly what an ambassador is. Wherever he goes in the world, wherever he is that ambassador, he is a direct personal representative 
of the head of his government, the head of his state. The Bible says he has made you and I to be Jesus Christ, personal representatives to this lost world. Do you realize what an honor that is? As a child of God, he's given you that honor. He's saying, I want you to be my representative in this world. He has committed to us this ministry of reconciliation, which is, folks, the only hope that your friends and my friends and your family and my family have. There is no other hope. Paul was ambitious to please the Lord because he was committed to this ministry that the Lord had given him as a representative of Jesus Christ. This ministry of reconciliation to be Christ's personal representative to this world. Verse 21 says, For he, Jesus, for he hath made him to be sin for us. God has made Jesus to be sin for you and I. He who knew no sin, Jesus. Why? That we might be made the righteousness of God in him, in Jesus. God has committed to us this ministry of reconciliation. We ought to be doing it because God sent Jesus to die for us, to pay for our sins, to do everything that was necessary to take our sins so that we could have his righteousness be right before him. I ask you this evening in closing, are you ambitious to please? If so, who are you ambitious to please? Who do you want to please? Is it somebody? Is your aim and your ambition in life to honor the Lord in everything you do? To be well-pleasing to Him, even when men think you're bonkers. <laughs> Let your character speak for itself, not because you're perfect, but because you're real in Him and Jesus is real in you. What are your goals in life? We all have to have somewhere that we're going. Is it really to please Him? Or is it to somehow satisfy or please ourselves? You see, I, I, I just want to give you something this evening, something that will make your life worth living, <laughs> something that will help you to quit feeling sorry for yourself and worrying about what everybody else is saying and thinking about what you're doing. I'm saying get your goals out of this world. Don't let this world drive your ambitions and your aims in what you're doing with your life. Follow the Apostle Paul and his example here. Be ambitious to please God, to please Him, to be honorable with Him in everything that you do in your life and that all that you do in your aim, your goal, your ambition is to be well-pleasing to Him. Why? Well, because of a coming judgment, you will stand at the Bema seat. Do you want any awards to be passed your way? You will be accountable for the life that you're living. Because of this compelling force of 
the love of Christ, which we can't even begin to explain or describe because of this committed ministry that's been committed to you and I. Jesus Christ has entrusted it to us. He's given it to us. This ministry of reconciliation that he's done all the work. It's through the gospel. It's through what Jesus Christ has accomplished. But do you recognize that it's only when we take our part serious that it can become of any use to them whatsoever? They've got to hear in order to believe. I give you these verses in closing from Romans chapter 10, verse 14 and 15. And yes, I admit, we do have a missions conference coming up in a week and a half. I've been praying much with those thoughts and ideas in my heart and my mind. The Lord laid this passage upon my heart. Folks, missions don't begin. That's why I guess one of those hymns that we sang earlier, Set My Soul Afire, Lord. It's one of my favorite mission songs. You know why? Because it begins here, not out there. Set my soul afire, Lord. Wake me up to the fact that there's millions that are groping in darkness. Set my soul afire. Because that's where it's got to begin. And here in Romans chapter 10, verse 13 says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed. And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not obeyed, all obeyed the gospel. For as I saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Folks, he's not talking about a pastor, an evangelist, a missionary, that one that's just been called to preach in an official manner. He's talking about here in proclaiming that truth. Jesus Christ himself, he left us this great commission. The simple truth is, out of God's love, he's done everything that every lost person you know needs in order to be saved. But what's the ambition of our life? Are we living in such a way? Is our goal set on heavenly things or earthly things? Is our ambition to please Him or to please me or others or anything, anything besides Him? Simple truth is, there's a coming judgment when we'll face God with our lives. There's a compelling force. If you really stop and think about how much that Christ loved you and what He accomplished for you, what he gave to you when he gave you new life, when he made you a new creature. And he's committed to us this ministry of reconciliation to take these wonderful, simple truths 
He hasn't told you you need to be a theologian. He hasn't told you that you need to be able to write a commentary or anything like that. He has told you that you need to be able to be a witness for him. He has told you that you ought to be willing to be his representative. You see, the one thing you need to be able to tell more than anything else in the world is that if you've been saved, if Jesus Christ has truly saved you, you ought to be able to tell somebody else how they can be saved. Ambitious to please. We can get our goals set in, in pleasing him. There's not anybody under the sound of my voice that can't live a life in such a way that's honorable to him and that your desire, your goal in everything that you do is to do it in a way that will be well-pleasing to him, in a way that will make him happy, in a way that will honor and glorify him. Father, we thank you this evening, Lord. We know that there's so much in this passage, but we've tried to, Lord, take a few of these nuggets that you've given us here, Lord, to help us understand that simple thought there in verse 9. Lord, that we would be ambitious, that our aim, that our goal, that our, our work in life would be to please you. Not matter whether we're here or there in this body or the next on earth or in heaven, all that we do should be to please you. Lord, I know that if we can somehow set our ambitions and our aims and our goals on that, I know that you can take and use every, every life here. Lord, you just need vessels that are willing to be used. Help us not to be so distracted, so tied up in all the things down here that we don't have time for those things that are the most vital, that are the most important in life. Help our lives to be worthwhile. We know, Lord, that it's easy to get discouraged and downhearted and downtrodden when our focus is all up on this earth and what's happening here and what's not happening here and the good and the bad and, and all of these things. But, Lord, help us to get our sights beyond this. Help us to be focusing upon what we can do in our life, whatever the circumstances, wherever we are, that we can please you. We can do that which is honorable in your sight. Of course, in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.